what editing's for. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'll edit the shit out of this. Don't worry about it. It's fine. All right, so there we go. Now, <laughs> hi there. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm pretty good. <laughs> Doing well this morning. Now you're in Los Angeles, right? Yes. Yes, I'm LA based. Well, my first thing would be would like I want to know. So you were born and raised in San Francisco. You went to school in New York, and then why mm-hmm. did you choose LA? For a few reasons. I was feeling really depressed in New York. Like after a winter, it was a really brutal winter, I think, which was the winter when I decided to leave. I was just like, you know, I've been here like six years. It was like four years for school, two years, like doing a, like a studio assistant printmaking job as my main income. And I had started showing in galleries on the West coast a little more. Like I had been in a few shows out there and like, it was all like shitty and cold. And my best friend was about to move to LA and like, I was like, I was like, man, if you're moving, like, so we ended up moving together. And I was like, I was like, you know what? Like, she's moved to LA. I'm moved to LA. Like, I'm going to try and make this freelance career work because I'm starting to like get more opportunities and just like live off my savings for my regular job. And yeah, then I kind of just got going. <laughs> when was that? When did you move to LA? 2015, six years ago. So uh, we're just going to jump right into it because, I mean, your background, people have already read about it. I saw it on interviews. So like people already know that stuff. So <laughs> the, the first thing that struck me when I saw your works and, and yourself is, is that you do both original pieces and you do like limited edition prints. Mm-hmm. What brought you to the ch- decision to do that? Uh, well, I went to school for illustration. I studied illustration. So that's what I majored in. And when I graduated, I actually tried to make it as an editorial illustrator. That was like my first like instinct. But like all the art directors told me my stuff would look better in galleries. And it was just like, it was too weird for them to like hire me for jobs. So I kind of got the ball rolling in gallery work. And then from the gallery work, people were like, oh, I like your work. And that's when I started doing illustration stuff. So I think illustration and printmaking kind of just go hand in hand. I studied um, silk screen and like letterpress and like different types of printmaking in, in, in college. So I've always just enjoyed printmaking. And yeah, I like making art that is both affordable and like art that like can be shown in a gallery and is like special and like one of a kind. Like I think there are benefits to making both of those types of things. Well, okay. But then like technically, how does that work for you? So like when it comes to selling works, Mm -hmm. because you, you, to a certain extent, you've got sort of like, pardon if I, if this is like a dirty words to you, but like you have like a commercial practice of selling prints Mm -hmm. for, yeah, and you have like a fine art practice of selling mm-hmm. original pieces and doing murals and other things like this. So like, yeah, yeah. is one of them better, easier for you to do? Because like, I would imagine that's difficult just from like a logistical inventory nature and stuff it's sort of difficult to keep up with. Yeah, well, that's that's the main thing. When I do my prints, I don't make them myself because that's the pain in the ass, like dealing with production. Like I don't have like a silk screen setup. So I usually work with uh, screen printing companies that will like publish it and then we'll like they'll help me distribute it and deal with customer service and stuff. And like we just like split the profits and like they they take the cost and stuff. I Yeah, I think I figured out a while ago that like my 
like my gallery practice is great, but I don't make enough from gallery work to make a living. And I've always liked illustrating. Like I like getting a job and like having to solve a problem for a client. I think it works a different sort of muscle, like a different sort of creative muscle than like the fine art gives me. So I, I kind of like having like the the break between like, you know, it kind of breaks up the monotony and it gives you like new projects to work on, like different different experiences. Yeah. It's a certain kind of person that can do that stuff, though. Like me, I am horrible at working for clients. <laughs> like it, when a client comes back to me, like I'll, they'll be like, hey, can you do this like this? And I'll be like, fuck yeah, you. No, it's better this way. <laughs> like you you want what tacky color in this like what like or, or, they, it, it, it's i had a friend who's a graphic designer and he, he used to say that, that he always does three proposals one is one that he absolutely thinks that the client will love one that, that he thinks the client will absolutely hate and then one that he absolutely loves as his as the designer that's that's a good call you you kind of like yeah you kind of gotta like push like some that's what i'll do too where i kind of like the one that i want them to pick i'll like try a little harder on that sketch so it looks a little better yeah a yeah, little, little yeah. more refined a little more yeah, elegant yeah, on that one <laughs> yeah well okay but when it comes to client work like i've noticed mm -hmm. you've had some great like corporate clients i guess i don't even know sort of what it's because i've seen you do you've done you've worked with nasty girl rvca is it rvca R well i i learned this from my partner because i always thought it was rvca but apparently you pronounce it because it's like skateboard and surf and i'm like i'm not a boarder <laughs> but it's pronounced rufka rufka yeah, yeah. I, I knew yeah. it was something that i didn't <laughs> yeah and and then you worked for <laughs> tuka and bertie and vans like how the question would be like sort of like how did you get these clients like those are some really fun ridiculous clients like I would love to design for vans I think part of it is like luck I'm just lucky that the right people have like seen my work and then part of it is effort and just I don't know like it, like I've never reached out for jobs or anything like all the job offers I get like I just get emails you know like people like coming to me with proposals I've reached out for a few things. Like when I was starting out, I would submit to shows if they allowed submissions for galleries. I contacted my pop-up publisher who I work with still to this day. But like, besides that, I mostly get the emails. And I, I don't know, I think I've always just like really been focused on making every piece the best that it can be. Always being an overachiever, basically. Like even in college, I was always like such a nerd about deadlines. So I think just by like caring so much about my work and like trying hard on every small opportunity I get, I just hope that they build into bigger things. And because I, I, I've kind of lucked out, they have, you know, like hard work doesn't always pay off, but sometimes it does. And, you know, when it does, you just got to be grateful and keep working hard. <laughs> Indeed, I mean, okay, so but you said like people contact you. Was this mm -hmm. through website or okay here I'll, I'll give you this is my old I, i'm older i'm mm -hmm. 48 i know you're much younger than me we're not going to talk about that but so <laughs> is was it through a web your website or a website or was it through instagram i'm fascinated on the difference of that it's a combination of both real world and internet things coming together like 
some of my first gallery shows I got because I was put into group shows because my professor liked my work and they were like curating shows. And then because the people who had the venue that liked my work, saw my work and liked it and offered me more opportunities from those group shows. But I have also had opportunities because like I was posting on Tumblr and then from Tumblr, like someone saw my work and like offered me a group show. And then, and then from that group show I was in, I got like offered a three person show, which was my first like big show. And then for my three person show, like that got me more press. So it's like kind of a combination of real world and like internet things happening too. Yeah. Well, Cause like you're killing it on Instagram as far as I can tell. You saw me with the technology. You've seen my oldest laptop and my iPhone seven. I'm like, I like, I don't know. I think it's just because Instagram is so aesthetic based. I, I've always just like known that like if you take a nice picture of your work, it will inevitably look better than if you take a bad picture of your work. It just makes sense, you know? It does. I think in some ways that's kind of helped me. And but like also like I don't know what's going on with Instagram because I lost a thousand followers and I didn't post a single thing all week. And it's like you lose a thousand followers and you're not doing nothing. So like I don't know what it is, man. I'm just like I, I you can't worry about things like that because otherwise it it just distracts you from the actual like work making. Well, and that's one of my big things because like I sometimes overly focus on that and I don't like put enough invested interest in sort of like the, the producing of the work. I'm more like, am I able to get it to the right viewers? Because like that, mm -hmm. that's the hardest thing in the industry. I mean, of course, COVID also sort of exacerbated this whole issue. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh. The hardest thing is to get your work in front of the right people. And you mm -hmm. seem to be have some magical touch to do it right. And I'm sort of in awe of it. So I'm <laughs> sort of like looking to you, like, what what do you know that I don't know? I honestly don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I just, I'm lucky in that I came along also at the right time, right place in history. And people are ready to give my work a type of chance that maybe they wouldn't have before because my work is like appealing to like things that are happening in our society right now. Whereas like, you know, like if I had come along, like maybe 30 years earlier, I might not have been as well. Like, who knows? I feel like I just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> basically. All right. Fair enough. But okay. <laughs> now I, I'm going to ask you like, okay, I apologize for this question in advance in case it offends you, <laughs> but the, so in your little artist bio statement, it says your work mm -hmm. blends your everyday occurrences from your life with abstracted nightmares and crude humor. So does that mm -hmm. mean that you have a very, um, kinky sexual life because like you, a lot of your work is about whips and chains and dildos <laughs> and nudity which don't get me wrong just to be clear i love it yeah yeah i'm not i'm not like i'm not like actively on the bdsm scene if, okay. if that's what you're asking yeah like i'm not like an active fetishist but i i do have like i have toys i've experimented i'm like sexually like open to things and like, I haven't really talked because this is more personal, but I ha do have like a pretty like complicated relationship with my own like sexuality and like my own pleasure, you know? So I think it's just a subject that really like interests me and intrigues me. And in, in some ways, a lot of my paintings are they're they're almost like yearning or like fantasies, too. 
Certainly. So, well, yeah. A lot of women have some, well, and even many men have issues with sort of like their own sexuality yes. and how to come yeah, to Yeah, it's like a complex that. relationship. Like, it's not as easy as like, boom, you put it in. I came. This is perfect. Awesome. Sex is wonderful. Like, it's like a lot more, like everything's cool. But like, like I feel like sex is like, it's it's so complicated and like it, like, it's just a part of being human too. I have never had that boom, put it in orgasm. Yeah, I'm happy. That's never happened. <laughs> At least not yeah, from the yeah. female side. <laughs> yeah, especially not for the ladies. Like no. it's like I feel like for women, it's it's especially like a mental, like emotional experience. So I think my my paintings are me like working that out for myself too. And like trying to come to terms with like my own desires and like how I want to express them. Yeah. <laughs> I totally understand. I can see that. Yes. So, okay. So I want to take a step back. So I'm also a professor. So how was, like, I graduated art school 20 years ago this year. And so you graduated only five years ago. Is that right? No, no, no. 2013. I graduated 2013. Well, still seven years ago. Seven years ago. I'm like, <laughs> you're, yeah, I love it how you're like, oh my god, seven whole years. Yeah, fuck you. I got twenty. I okay? just turned thirty, so I'm 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 shaking in my boots. <laughs> Why? It's a great decade. Like thirties. I do hear good things about the thirties. I hear you're like more financially stable, so it's also awesome, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, no guarantees on that. No guarantees on that. <laughs> No, 40s were my most financially stable so far in my lifetime. Well, er early 40s, I should say. Wait, what? Yeah, late 30s, early 40s. I was making like $100,000 a year. It was fucking fabulous. Like, that sounds sick. Well, I was living in Abu Dhabi. So, like, you know, they were paying me <laughs> that really sounds well. Sick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are pros and cons to everything, let's say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, life in Abu Dhabi, it's still everyday life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it is not everyday life. No, it's it's a very unique lifestyle living there for sure. But <laughs> I'm just happy I got out of there without being arrested. That's that's all that made me happy. So oh boy. Yeah. Well, no, okay, but back to the schooling part. Do you, one of the things I wonder about is like when I was in school, I graduated and I feel like that I was not prepared for the real world. My teachers and and the entire educational system did not prepare me. It prepared me artistically, conceptually, craftsmanship, all that stuff's great. But as far as like how to do the business of the arts, whether it's writing grants or legal documents or just keeping well, I still inventory. can't do that stuff, man. <laughs> okay. okay, so there's the, that was sort of the question is like, yeah, so yeah. are they teaching it better now? <laughs> well, okay, so I, I went to Pratt and I heard that they offered a, a business in the arts class or something. And my friend took it. I didn't take it. And she said that the teacher, he was like, he was like so old. He was telling them how to prepare their slides. So, so like, I don't know. I don't think it was like very up-to-date and helpful to the course. No. So I'd say if anything, it was individual professors who offered a little more guidance in terms of like, how do you do pricing, setting up a separate like locked page on your website where not everyone can see all your prices all the time because you're not like an online store. You don't want people to be able to just add shit to the, you know, like certain like 
fine businessy touches like that where like it wouldn't occur to you to like think of some of the things in business like I think I learned that from like professors just asking them as opposed to like it being taught to me and then like asking my peers like their experiences it's it's definitely a learn as you go type thing I know, but we're paying large amounts of money to learn in a university yeah. setting, and yet we're not getting what I see yeah. as a bit of the fundamentals of what we should have learned yeah. at university. Yeah, and it, well, and it makes it really easy for artists to be taken advantage of until they get older and wiser, which has happened to me. It has happened to like every single artist I know, and like, yeah, like it would be nice if art schools offered a little more business management class because you do have to manage your own business. Like nobody has their own manager or like team going until you're like super successful because then you're having to like support other people's lives, basically like, you know, pay for that, like be their source of income. So you need to be like generating enough income to basically like support like all your employees and like, that's not happening. So I have to figure out how to be like manager, PR person, like, Photographer, like answer my emails. Just to be clear, it's not happening yet. <laughs> yet. Yes. You're still young. Yet. <laughs> yes. I got a little time in me. You've got a lot of time. Come on. I'm, I'm pushing 50. You, you got a lot of time in you. You're doing well. Like you're doing, I mean, you seem to be, That's and that's just one of these other in, things that I find really interesting is like, I know of incredibly talented artists that from the outside, so like as a viewer, it's like, oh, they're not doing very well. You know, their social media is not very good. They're not, their website's not updated very much. They don't seem to be having exhibitions but they may actually be doing incredibly well sort of behind yeah. the curtain kind of thing. And then there yeah. are people that are incredibly proactive and very good at these things that may not be making as much money in the end. And so like, where do you fall on that? Like, do you feel like you're putting, having to put too much into that sort of marketing and branding and stuff? Like, are you making enough? Mm, I mean, I don't actually put too much into my Instagram. I like, I really limit how much, I go online and how much I let myself be on that app and like how, how much I even like let myself interact. Like I, I only check it like once in the morning and once at night because I, or like sometimes I'll go, if there's something going on, like in my DMS, like the, where like, I'm like talking with someone, like, of course I'll like go back to it. But like, typically I try to like not think about it too much. Like I do plan posts, but like, I don't keep track of my posts. I'm not like constantly interact. I just, always try and tell myself that like I know there there's so many super successful artists who have like terrible Instagram Instagram is it's a tool in your professional box and you can use it however much or however little you want it but at the end of the day I tell myself the work is the only thing that's going to be left over like your Instagram account like if people are looking at that instead of your work you have a problem with your work you know but like like you want the work to be the most important thing and I just try and tell myself that the rest will, will fall into place if I focus on that. And so, yeah, like if I have like something exciting going on that I can share, I make sure that I, I share about it, but I'm not like, if I don't have anything to share, I'm not going to like, like be, I don't like have a posting schedule where I'm like, I need to post like every day, at least once a day at this time, you know, like, because like, that's not my job. I'm not a social media person. I'm not like a PR person. I'm like a painter and an illustrator, you know? So. 
I do. Yeah. Vincent Peters, the photographer recently said he, um, he said, uh, there in the future, there will not be museums of Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's bullshit. Like I was on Tumblr before I had a ton of followers on Tumblr. Who the fuck uses Tumblr anymore? Like my Instagram could go the next, like everyone's moving on to TikTok. I have an iPhone seven. So my camera shit, I'm not even on TikTok. I'm like, you know, whatever. But like, I think if you do enough work and if you build up enough, like real world accomplishments, Carol Walker or it was someone really famous who like doesn't have less Instagram followers than me, but they're in the fucking Tate or something. And I, and I remember like thinking like, see, like Instagram isn't shit, you know, like, like it is shit, but like, you know, it's a tool. It's like, it's still a tool. It is not your career. It's not the art world. Do you think David Hockney cares who like comments on his work? Like, nah. I <laughs> know uh, uh, David Hockney doesn't need to yeah, care. Yeah. <laughs> He probably has a better iPhone than me, actually. But and she's been doing those digital paintings, so he's definitely more tech savvy than me. But. Well, he he can afford to also <laughs> like. I mean, he, he yeah. But he can afford private tech tutor lessons. <laughs> or or a, a, an assistant. He probably has yes, an entire a young corporate. a young tech savvy assistant. A lovely young man to do his work for him. Yes. <laughs> but okay, but you you mentioned like so what what do you do during your days? Because like so you say you don't you don't go on computers, which personally because I'm sort of strapped to a computer for my job, I heavily uh, respect and admire, and I wish I could have such a lifestyle. But like, are you the kind of person like I find there are sort of two kinds of creative people: one that yeah. sort of wait for inspiration and then go in the studio, and then there are the others that are sort of it's my job to be in the studio, so I will be there from nine to five working, even if I'm not working. Oh, I'm I'm definitely a workaholic. Like I usually like I've actually had to set boundaries for myself because like. I stay up really late to work and like after, after a while of doing that professionally, you get really burnt out, like pulling all nighters every single night. So like nowadays I try and like, I wake up around like nine, nine 30. I check my emails. If I have something like really pressing, I'll do that. And it kind of depends on like what I'm working on at the moment. So if I'm working on a commercial project, that's usually like drawing or digital digitally coloring so I'll like do that but if I'm working on a painting I just paint all day I, I usually work until like midnight to like two or something and then I like I've been trying to like give myself a little relaxation time so sometimes I'll let myself stop at midnight and like either read for an hour or, like watch something and actually pay attention to it for an hour but yeah yeah I just like working late <laughs> Do you have music? What do you have playing in the background while you're in, a, in working in the studio? Combination of things. Sometimes Luke and I will both paint in our living room and then we'll be watching like Real Housewives. <laughs> but like, or like Antiques Roadshow. We'd go both ends. Both okay. Ends. I, I love Antiques Roadshow, but if you're going to say Real Housewives, you have to say what city? Oh my God. Well, we, we finished all of New York. We finished all of Beverly Hills. I've been keeping up with Atlanta since it's been like airing. And I used to watch New Jersey, haven't kept up with it, but want to get back into it. Right now, we're doing OC from season one all the way to the end. So we're on season five right now. So yeah, pretty juicy. <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm not working in the living room, if I'm just in my studio, I, I sometimes I'll listen to music. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, you know, I, li I like tree crime. I like history. 
Like I like like art podcasts, of course. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I don't, it's funny. I can't have anything visual going in my studio when I'm working. Mm. I can have things, audio things going in the background that I can zone, zoom, you know, sort of zone in and zone out of, but I can't actually, if I, if I have something to look at while I'm in the studio, I will look at it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I watch the house. We'll like watch something like where you kind of don't have to pay attention too much if we're working like, uh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like where there's like a lot of talking, like because for like something like Antiques Roadshow, it's a lot of talking, and then you just like look at the object, and then you're like, okay, I, I get the, you know. Yeah, you only have to look at it for like ten se- like yeah. five seconds, and you're like, got it. Now, now talk. Got it. <laughs> tell me, tell me its history. Tell me its story. <laughs> Okay, so it sounds like you all work from home. What about wait? No, so does your partner also paint then? Yeah, yeah, he's a painter and illustrator too. He's actually how I got introduced to RBCA because he's involved in a lot of like skate and surf stuff. And so when we started dating, like they saw my work, you know, and so they offered me like opportunities and it kind of just went from there. Yeah, you did a bathing suit for them. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And we're actually, we're having um, a collaborative line because we had a collaborative show last year with Super Chief. And so we're having a collaborative line come out with them next summer based on our art from it. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Okay, wait. So you all are a couple that are both Mm -hmm. creative. Yeah, yeah. That's how we met because he actually curated me. And he found me on Tumblr. He's the one who found me on Tumblr and he was curating a lot of shows back then and so he he just like put my show in this like giant group show out of 20 people and then from that group show out of like 20 people three of us were picked he was one I was one and uh John Malta the illustrator and we all got a three-person show at New Image Art and then like from then we kept on like going Okay, so how is that relationship? Okay, I'll give you from my own personal experiences. When I was in college, I dated another artist, and it was horrible um, because we were in competition with each other, trying to one up each other. Like, it was just, it was very bad. I sort of made a rule that I would not date other <laughs> artists at that point. Personally, I believe she was actually a little crazy, so I think it had nothing to do with that. But. I mean, a lot of people say like two creative people in a household is incredibly difficult. So like, how do you all pull that off? (laughs) I'm assuming, well. I think it works out because we're kind of like Venn diagrams for our art where we have like similarities and we both like similar enough like things. But like we both also, also have like our separate practices, which are each strong on our own you know so so we don't have to feel like there's like this like you know like I feel like when I when I can like can collaborate with him you know he feels like a collaborator I can get like advice on like colors for him or like you know composition it's it's just like nice to have someone else to like bounce things off of I've I've found and we like he's like chill like like we kind of our personalities balance each other out which also helps like he's he's a little more relaxed than me I'm a little more like tight but I keep the ship running you know (laughs) I have a feeling probably he would say the same thing in the opposite way yeah yeah (laughs) no no he he knows he does not keep the ship running (laughs) okay he knows I'm the backbone of this household (laughs) that has been established (laughs) as long as everybody knows their place that's what's important (laughs) now um okay so 
you brought up color and composition and stuff and you have a very distinct color palette and it's really interesting like i was looking through this like your history i I say your history like it was so long you were seven years of history and it looks like your color palette has evolved in in a way like I, i there was a certain colors like the oranges that have now transitioned to like your pastels and your pinks so like are you like I, it's going to sound sort of tacky and I apologize for this but like are you following a trend or are you sort of just finding inspiration by these colors like so why have you f- felt the need to sort of transition between these colors and is it something that you're experiencing a lot like how do you find that colors that are like yes these are the colors I need to be working with yeah I think my relationship with color when I first started working, like when I was in high school and stuff, I was, I was only doing like black and white, like drawings. Like I was very afraid to use color. And then I went to college and junior year is when things started clicking for me. I saw beautiful losers. I started getting into folk art. And I think that's why my stuff had such like warm folksy tones because I was, I was just looking at a lot of folk art. And then like, I think as I started to like, develop from that and grow into my own taste I just realize you know I, you just you're just kind of drawn to certain colors for a while I did have a phase where I was like super into like the light fluorescent pink but like my current color combination that I'm feeling like right now because I'm like I'm trying to like I don't know when you're 30 you don't want to make the same work that you did in your 20s so I am trying to push my palette and I'm I've been looking at like Iraqi's photographs and he has like really deep cerulean blues and crimsons, you know, and, like jewel tones. And so I think my color, it's not something that I necessarily like consciously deci- decided like, okay, so I'm going to use like these and they'll be like, like, of course, I know that they're aesthetically attractive and that's what attracts me to them. And that's like an obvious like benefit of making like brightly colored work. It's that they just catch your eye. So I'm not like unaware of that, but I think also I just like, I just use the colors I like because I like them. And it's like, it's that very just instinctual like pull towards certain colors. (laughs) Yeah, I can tell, sorry, nobody can see it, but in the background, her curtains are also pink as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, because as a kid, I used to hate pink because I was a little more of a tomboy and like pink was my sister's favorite color. And I was just like, I don't want to be girly. I want to be thought of girly like. But like, I think as I grew older, I have obviously really learned to love pink. And like, obviously, now that I'm not a child, I realize that like being girly is a negative anyway. And that's just a construct anyway, because colors aren't gendered. So. I'm like, fuck it, love pink. <laughs> it is interesting how the like c- colors have different meanings also like throughout your own life. Like, so like whether mm-hmm. or not it's a gender, not gendered issue, but also like there are many colors that I like, I remember distinctly hating as a child that I'm now like, oh, that's a beautiful mm-hmm. color. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, it's kind of like Brussels sprouts, you know, certain things just grow on you as you get older and your ch- taste change. And I think that's the way art is. It's like nobody ever sets out making their art being like okay this is going to be my blue period this is going to be my gray period you know like like i think you're just kind of attracted to certain things and they come out in your work no i hate brussels sprouts always have that i will never grow into brussels sprouts they They grew grew on on me really i mean there are many things that have grown on me brussels sprouts is not one of them 
at all. Like still disgusting. <laughs> I just can't. Like my my family keeps trying to get me into asparagus as well. Like I've never. I like asparagus do too. You? I like the yeah. butter that they put on asparagus, but I don't like asparagus. I also think it's like hilarious how like asparagus makes your pee smell because I'm like childish. So. It is fun. Agreed. But yeah, it's just, I never, <laughs> never, never got into that. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's a certain maturity that comes like with color. Like I, I was horrible with color for many, many years. And, and then I started doing some graphic design at a certain point and started doing video and things like this. And so I had to get better at it. But yeah. like, I did nothing but black and white. I'm a photographer is my background in case you didn't know. And I, I did nothing but black and white from the first like 12 years of my artistic practice. Yeah. So I, I just never even dealt with color. I still think I'm horrible with color, but I'm better than I was when <laughs> in my youth. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. It's something that like some people are really innate with it and really amazing with it. Like I've mm. got friends that are just phenomenal with like matching and pairing colors. And I, mm-hmm. it, it, I these days I still use Pantone and and, and Adobe's color cooler <laughs> and things like that to help yeah, me yeah. out. You know, it's amazing the technologies that are out there to make it a little easier. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know how to use any of them. <laughs> There's this amazing thing called Adobe. Have you ever seen Adobe? I think it's called. It used to be called Cooler. K U L E R. They've renamed it since then, but it's this online thing where basically you can put a color in and it'll give you the, it'll give you either the, the triad of colors that match it and it it, it will do all of it for you if you just choose one color. That's interesting. When I do, when I prepare silk screens, you have to give the printmaker like the Pantone key. So like I have a Pantone book and I just like, you know, kind of like match it and, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, it can be really hard to match from a screen to the Pantone and then back to something you want in ink. Fuck, don't <laughs> start me on like ICC profiles and screen, Ugh. like screen monitor calibrations. Like this is my, like, I don't understand why all the industries cannot just come up with some like, okay, here, we'll make a screen that is the correct color. Why can't they fucking get it right? Because like, Every time I print something out, the colors are all whacked out. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the screen or the operating system or the software or the the printer or the what the fuck ever it is drives me nuts. Beside the fact, of course, I don't understand why like inkjet printing was RGB or is CMYK when screens are RGB. Like this, this shit just bothers the fuck out of me. Like, oh, I hate it when the thing's not in the right mode and then uh, you turn it into the right mode and then it looks like shit. And you're absolutely. like, <laughs> you're like, well, thanks. You just ruined entire hours of work. Got to recolor everything. I know. I don't get it, but I don't get it. Like why, why can't, like, why can't they just make a screen that's CMYK for illustrators basically? So like everything you make on this screen is CMYK. It's color balanced to CMYK. It's it, it yeah, naturally yeah. defaults to doing work in CMYK so that when you then want to output something, it will look exactly the way it looks on your screen. How hard should that be? I mean, someone's going to get super rich once they invent that. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, you know, technology, as much as I love it and it's great, it's also a horrible fucking annoyance when it comes to that kind of stuff. Exactly. As much as I appreciate it and I I know that my life is way better and easier because of it, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to like read a book in the sun. I need to read more books. I haven't read a book in a long time. 
You should. It's fun. I know. Who the fuck has time to read a book? I sit. I sit here and say, "Who the fuck has time to read a book?" I just watched like three seasons of Pawn Stars. I mean, come on. I mean, I have time. I have also recently got me into Pawn Stars. It's like an antiques roadshow, but where they try to screw you over and talk you down. I come on. I mean, I think. I mean, but that's a Pawn Stars job, pawn shop's job, of course. And they're like, "What do you expect if you bring your antique to a pawn shop?" that's fast cash of course you're gonna get less than the value but it's just funny how like it, it's like so like i like how mercenary it's like mercenary antiques roadshow it is absolutely way less sentimental uh, not sentimental at all but yeah but yeah it, it's it. really Love it's really hard to like find time to devote like this is like i have this thing about artists in general like i believe they're oh, shit i can't remember if it's three or four now but it's three Time, money, and space. Like those are the three things that we want. Like and so, like most times in our lives, whether you know, no matter where you are, you can maybe get two of those. But Mm -hmm. to be able to try and get all three of those simultaneously in your life is like the holy grail. Yeah, it's impossible. (laughs) Not, it's not impossible, but highly improbable. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard. It's impossible for most artists. <laughs> it there's is like a, there's like a probably like a five percent. <laughs> I guess. Well, but that leads to the like the question: like, do you apply for things? Like, do you do grants or residencies or any of these other kinds of things that a lot of other artists do? I mean, I really should, but I, and like I I have wanted to do residencies and stuff because I think it gives you an opportunity to travel make work in a new space so it's like fresh work and like you gotta like experience life a little which is what being an artist is about but I mean since I've been working I've kind of just like never stopped like hustling because like I, I take on so many illustration jobs when I'm not like painting for galleries that I just I haven't had the time yet to like be like okay I can apply to this because like in my viewpoint, it's like, I can like take this job that is like certain money, or I can spend this time applying to something that I, I don't even know what my odds are of getting it, you know? So like, obviously, like if I have bills stacking up, if I have like deadlines for other things, but I need to p- pay for materials, I'm just like, well, I'm going to take this, you know? So like, I guess like, it's kind of just gone away from me and I have Never applied for a grant or a residency, I'm ashamed to say. Well, I'm sure with your relationship with galleries, you probably could have the galleries sort of help with the applications for any of those things. Because if you got some of those residencies, it would up your credentials, which then would up your price in the galleries. So it's to their benefit. So Definitely. There's the Thomas Finland house, actually, that is in L.A. And they offer artist residencies. And my friend told me about it because it's for, like, artists to do erotic work. And, like, that is a residency that, like, I really do want to apply for eventually, but like also I'm like scheduled out into next year. And then like after next year, I, I kind of told myself I want to like make myself kind of take a break because I've like never stopped like either showing or like doing like commercial things. So like I kind of want to like reset my gears and just like get fresh creatively again since it's been kind of nonstop. But yeah. I'm slightly envious of the fact that you are booked out that far and slightly not because I kind of like, like me, I have nothing. Well, no, I have a, I have a solo show next year, 2022 that's being, that's planned, but that's it. Well, that's, that's what I got. 
That's the same thing I got. I, I, I promise yours is better than mine. <laughs> yeah. Mine is going to need 20 pieces. And I'm like terrified of making that many pieces because I already know how long it takes me to make like five things. I'm like, fuck. Well, that's an interesting question. How long does it? So, okay. So let's take just your painting work. So let's take mm-hmm. your, your gallery work. How long does it, first of all, like, cause I, I'm on your websites and stuff. I'm not sure I'm seeing scale quite right. So like how big are your pieces and how long does each one take you? My paintings for, they're not big at all in the art world. They're like pretty small for the art world. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I do small six by six, but most of my paintings range from like like 11 by 14 to 18 by 24, you know? So like, like as long as it can fit on my desk, cause I don't own an easel. You okay, know? Wait, just to be clear for the non-American people, that would be approximately an A3 to an A1 size. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in inches that just when she gave yeah, out her yeah. numbers. Yeah. I know I've been living outside the United States for almost a decade now. You can so. do that. You can do that in your head. Man um, <laughs> no, it's the, the paper sizes, like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper is a, approximately an A4 paper yeah. in, in Europe or in, anywhere but America. And then the numbers go smaller as the, they get bigger. So like a... Oh, okay. That makes sense. So so an A4 is or, 8 well, by not- 11. And so a legal size paper in America would be an A3. Okay. So numbers go down. Yeah. yeah so nothing too big. Like I've, de- I've definitely like done bigger works and I do like murals and too, but like most of my gallery stuff, it can be hard to sell like really big expensive works. So like I have sold like I've made like some pieces that were quite a bit bigger, like 20 by 30 or 30 by 40. But they took like year, you know, year, a couple of years to sell or something, because like it's just like I have really young collectors, too, you know. So like a lot of the people who like like and support my work, they don't have like the craziest budgets yet, you know. So it's kind of that thing, too. So, yeah. And, and the work it, I used to be faster but my work's lately been getting a lot more ambitious I feel like for me and I've been I've been just trying to like put myself out of my comfort zone so it, it's taking me longer and that I I do feel like sometimes I'm in uncertain territory and not as confident in the decisions I'm making so like the last painting I've been working on this is probably like week week three if you count the week it took me to do the drawing and then like also I've had to work on like other commercial projects in between like working on that just because of due dates so i don't know it can take a while like i can take up to a month on a painting but i can take as as little as like two weeks or a month and a half sometimes kind of depends it's pretty fair yeah yeah because they're they're very intricate even if they're small i mean that still takes a lot of detail work yeah, because I paint like you know like flat so it's a lot of like layering colors and and I always draw out my pieces on tracing paper before because I hate having like a messy surface. So I don't like pencil lines. So I always draw everything out on tracing paper and then transfer it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, Yeah, that's a little laborious for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Old school transferring too. <laughs> like I like, I probably draw everything. If you think about it, I draw everything that I paint three times because I draw the original drawing and then I draw it to transfer it. And then I have to redraw everything to like make the lines a little darker in certain areas so that they can show through the paint. So, (laughs) 
It's interesting. So, uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's a very laborious process that you've done because, I mean, a lot of people would just, you know, put a canvas up and like draw on the canvas. And if they didn't like it, scrape it off, whatever, and then keep going. But like, so you plan them out rather sort of fastidiously before you even put it onto a canvas. Yeah, yeah. I most of like pretty much all my composition is pretty much locked down before I started painting. I, I will adjust things if, in the painting if they need to be adjusted, like tweak things or like move things if I need to. But yeah, like pretty much everything is figured out in terms of where it will go. Because I'm, I'm just a planner. Like I like to read the directions before I install something. Like that, that's why I do well with like the illustration work too, because like I kind of like having like certain parameters. I'm just like, like I like to be like know what I need to do how I need to do it and then do it. Like I'm very like task oriented like that. It's great. Yeah. Most of us wish we were like that. <laughs> it's a burden. You, you end up spending hours unnecessarily doing a process that could probably be shortened and much more efficient, but it's the way I do it. <laughs> yeah. But we all like who aren't like that, we make a lot of mistakes and then have to go back and repair and make <laughs> redo. So the, the amount of time is generally about the same. I believe in the end, it's a bit of a wash. Fair enough, fair enough, fair but, enough. <laughs> okay. But wait, so both you and your partner are also illustrators, painters, etc. What do you do about mm -hmm. storage? Because I know, you know, housing in LA is not cheap. So do you have things that you have to store or is everything out on exhibition or sold at all times? Luke and I kind of lucked out because the house that we rent has a separate garage, which he uses as his studio. So we do have like a little more space, but most of my works are kept by the galleries who show them and then they hold on to them after the show to like store them. So I don't actually have that many of my works on hand, except for the ones that I've gotten back. And like those, I, I, we, we have like art hanging all over our house. So we just like hang up. We're always like switching things around. It, like sometimes like a show will call for a piece. So we'll like take down the piece on the wall and then we'll like put something else up that we got from someone else, like that we traded. Yeah. I don't know. You trade also? Especially during the quarantine, Luke was going on a, a trade kick because like he kind of had some downtime because we weren't getting as many commercial jobs. So he was like, he was like, well, I can't afford art, but we know all these like cool artists. So like <laughs> he was like hitting them up and doing trades. I've often said that I wish I could barter for like my mortgage and barter for like my electrical bill. Like I'll I'll gladly give a piece of art for you know electricity for a month. That's magnificent. Yeah. Sadly, society doesn't agree with me, but that's fine. Yeah, I know that's that's definitely one of the perks of being an artist, though, that you can like have great art from your friends, you know, that you couldn't afford otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, okay, wait, going back to like, I asked about grants and all that stuff. You don't do this, mm -hmm. but do you do text and write and stuff about your artworks? Yeah. Galleries usually want at least a write-up for the show. And then one of the galleries that I work with a lot, Corey Helford, they want a write-up for every single piece so that they can know a little bit more about it. And then they can like talk to collectors about it. And at first I was like, I was like, oh, this is going to take forever. But like, I, I kind of like being forced to like think about my pieces in that way, like at, at the end when you're done. Because like when you're creating them, you're never as eloquent as you'd like to be about what it's about. But once it's done, I feel like you do get a better idea. And then I think 
the practice of being like forced to actually like think about it and like kind of put it a little more into words is really helpful in like directing you conceptually. I don't know. It's just made me a little more thoughtful. Well, that's that's part of the question is like, so so you yeah. don't sort of really, let's say, overanalyze what you're producing until you're done with it. And then you sort of retroactively put a statement to it. Yeah, yeah. Or like for pieces, a lot of the time when I'm working, I start with an initial idea. But then like as I'm developing the piece, of course, like I like add or subtract things and then what you've added or subtracted eventually ends up gearing it more towards one specific idea than another you know so so I may not always necessarily know what I'm trying to say at the beginning but I feel like at the end I kind of know what I have to say and then by being forced to like think about it it makes me like more thoughtful artist I hope (laughs) we all hope it does that but something (laughs) like for me it just annoys the fuck out of me (laughs) I, I hate doing it so much but I understand from a collector standpoint why they desire it Yeah, well, and I think a lot of my pieces, I reference works that I like, or like I use like a lot of symbolic imagery or like, you know, there, I feel like there's a lot of subtext going on that you may not necessarily get if you're just looking at the piece. So that's why I also like thinking about it a little more writing it down, you know, just because I feel like people can understand it a little better. All right, but that for some reason, what's popped in my head was: so, are you, if you had the like the choice for the future, would you desire to continue to be a fine art? Let, let's say theoretically. So, bear with my question here. Theoretically, you could be earning a full time living, and you don't have to worry about money. Would you choose to mm-hmm. just do fine art, just do commercial art, or still do both the way you like currently are? I think I would still do both, but I would just be a lot more picky about like what jobs I do take and what shows I, you know, what I, how I can space my shows. Because like, if I had it my way, I would just spend two years working on work for a solo and like uninterrupted. But then I also like doing mural jobs for a company. So like, I would like that variety in my life. But like, of course, like, I'm not especially into like doing like a cheap t-shirt design, but like, you know, everyday practical me, like you got to do your bread and butter, like small design work too. But like, ideally I just have the big jobs, you know, but I, I still like every, everything. And even the t-shirt designs are kind of fun. <laughs> oh, come on. They're quick and fun. They're easy. Yeah. They're pretty fun. <laughs> but the, okay. How do you, this is going to sound really stupid. Like, do you have like software, like an Excel spreadsheet or something? How do you keep track of all of this inventory? Because I mean, again, going back to the beginning, you have like, you want to see my, my high tech, my high tech method over here. I'm guessing it's a notepad. A thousand to two notes that are all taped up on my shelf. Like, okay. She just showed me a piece of paper that's taped to the wall. And it has highlighter color coded. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say, so it's color coded by what gallery it's in or something like that? I write all the major projects and then the due dates for each project. And then I kind of like emphasize the due dates so that they pop out to me and like I can just like add an update. (laughs) You have very good handwriting too. Thank you. I could actually read that even through the video here. <laughs> Some of those deadlines are passed because I've seen them on your Instagram. Yes, they have. They have passed some of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. 
are there any topics that I that you want to talk about that I hadn't even known to ask you about? Nothing that I can think of. I think I think you've you've covered good amount. I don't know. Your your questions have been interesting. Like that's why I wanted to do this podcast because I figured you're like I'm going to come up with the ludicrous questions. No, you're a professor, so you know how to like think critically and ask like like questions that I may not have answered before in in previous interviews. You know that are a little more like art industry geared. Did I do a good job at that? Yes. Yes. I try not to ask the obvious questions because, well, they're obvious. Like I tried, (laughs) you know, I titled this The Wise Fool so that I could intentionally ask stupid questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, ask me anything. (laughs) I don't know how to phrase a question with this. I'm trying to think of how to express it. Like, I read I read something where you talked about like sexuality and femininity and things like this in your work and and okay my cons- my question is this uh, I'm not sure how to phrase this still let me try and figure out I'm going to try and phrase it so bear with me you you as a woman are doing these images of basically naked women in all kinds of interesting situations mm-hmm if if you were a man doing those same things these days it would be rather not politically correct let's call it no i still see plenty of men painting beautiful naked women and i don't think men painting women is inherently evil i think it's the way in which you like in which you like represent and think about your subjects you know so like like i think my paintings personally they're like they feel like personal exploration so i think that other women can see themselves in my figures more easily because i'm painting the women as me like they are the women are imperfect and they seem like i like to paint women who feel even though they're sexual they're not necessarily there i don't want feel like they're there for the viewer's pleasure i feel like they always feel defiant to me and that like they're focused on their pleasure, which I, I think is like important because like so many images of women, it's, it's for the viewer's pleasure, but it's like, it's, I feel like I want this to be an exploration of like my sexuality, you know? And like through that, I hope other women or men can like, like see some of their own sexual desires expressed in that, which is, I think like, that's the difference for me between like, erotic art versus like what's what's erotic art versus pornography it's like it's all like intent you know and it's like like I want my pieces to touch on something of the human experience in that sexual desire you know it's not just something to like masquerade to which is fine too like I don't have anything I don't think porn's inherently evil either like like the porn industry definitely has problems but like that's just human fucking things up as we always do you know <laughs> the art world has problems too so what's yeah, the difference yeah that question of erotica versus pornography like i've wanted to do a whole you know as a matter of fact i'm going to try and do a, a p- panel on that because i think that's a great topic but like yeah yeah i mean i've always been fascinated because like my work throughout my lifetime has been on that edge of pornography and and, and erotica like so, some of my favorite artists are male artists who like I like a Rocky I like R. Crumb like 
Luke paints like very like sexual thing. Like, I don't think men expressing desire for women or like admiring a woman's body is like inherently evil. I just think that like, especially when it's only that view being expressed, you know, when like, when, when it's like one voice crowding out all the others and like, when like women are just like sex dummies and props again and again and again, that's where the problem is. But like, I, I, I can enjoy a, a beautiful nude by a woman, a man, <laughs> anyone. But what, what constitutes the difference for you between erotica and pornography? I think it's the intent of the maker. Like, what was their intent? You know, was their intent to, like, make something to sell, you know, sell sex? Or, like, is their intent to, like, ex- express something deeper within themselves and about, like, how humans experience sex? That's an excellent answer. Yeah, it's good. Thanks. <laughs> came up with that off the, off the cuff. <laughs> it was excellent. Well, I mean, I think of it like sort of like the, yeah, the, I mean, it, you expressed it well, like t- the intention, like to me, it's the term like titillation. Like, so if it's, if it's meant to titillate, then, then that's one thing. Yeah. But if it's meant for uh, self-expression or artistic investigation yeah. or research, yeah, that's it, it different. It can still titillate. Like there's always going to be that element of it to it. And that's not necessarily bad either. But I do think like erotica goes a level deeper too. Well, it's interesting. Like I find that there's a lot more, oh, well, it it might just be because of the internet and social media and all these things, but I feel like there's a lot more erotica artwork being produced these days than in the past. I mean, in the past, it was very, very niche thing and very underground. Yeah, or it had to be like hushed up. I think like, I think erotica has always been around. Like people love drawing boobs and dicks, (laughs) always have always will nothing's going to change that people should start accepting that really the first graffiti a young boy does is a penis with balls exactly Exactly. all the time it's iconic it's iconic come on it really is (laughs) seriously they they do a smiley face and as soon as they figure out how to do a straight line and a circular line they draw a penis yeah yeah and it's just a part of the body i mean it's all like that's what art is all about it's about being human and if you're human you're probably fucking or you got you that's how you got here someone got fucked someone got fucked so like i think on that level that's why we're always drawn to like sexuality (laughs) it's really interesting because like i i keep like thinking about it and looking at it like like i'm now married like when i was single i could put erotica art in my bachelor pad you know apartment kind of thing as a married man my wife would not appreciate so much this erotica. that's funny luke and i luke and i have like an amazing erotic art collection and we have like we collect like old porn books we collect dirty <sighs> playing cards we collect like nudie figurines like i have old playing nude playing <laughs> cards i love them yeah They're i great. love old dirty playing cards it's like yeah we're we're very pro sexuality open sexuality households too it's interesting because like i'm and i've also gone from i was you know i was raised in washington dc and then i went by a minister father so conser- reasonably conservative definitely <laughs> and and then i went to the united arab emirates more conservative <laughs> Well, in some ways, but not in other ways, because there's a massive amount of prostitution and other things going on there. A lavish lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all in a very, 
yeah monetary way but and then and then now move to europe which is very progressive and open with its sexuality so like i'm i'm totally in my element here in europe one of my best dirty playing card sets was actually that we got from a sex store in prague on our vacation there so love you guys it. have cool sex stores <laughs> we do and we have many of them yes but there's a, there, it's just an interesting cultural differences about this. Like I remember in my youth that people used to always say, "Oh, your work would probably do really well in Europe," <laughs> you know, like <laughs> because people, you know, America's a bit puritanical in many ways. Yeah, and, and yeah it's they, so annoying. I don't understand why it's still there. I mean, I get it. Okay, fine. There's the Republican right religious group, but like those people generally aren't buying a lot of art. So like, no, no. The people who are buying art, you would think are a little bit more open-minded, but maybe that's just my weird sort of projection of what I think art buyers are like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the reason why, like why I sometimes have trouble selling some of my more sexual works is because even if people like the piece, it's another thing to live with it. And where I know my house, like, I don't care what's up on the walls as long as it's good, like, like good and interesting. But a lot more people, like, especially if you have children, I know I'm kind of like cutting out certain buyer <laughs> aspects. And it's like, especially like for super erotic pieces, I found that they're much more palatable when they're like small versus because nobody wants like a giant gaping like vagina or huge veiny dick like or maybe you do but like it is harder to sell giant erotic pieces versus like smaller like boudoir type like intimate style paintings but i mean come on georgia o'keefe for fuck's yeah. sake you could say that's a flower because she did <laughs> she's like she's like y'all are putting your your shit on me those are flowers. Yeah, they were not flowers. They were definitely not flowers. I mean, they are flowers, but hey. We, we I, I think it's the other way around. I think she, she <laughs> wanted to draw, but she wanted to paint pussies. And she was like, well, I, the, the, I can't do that because of the culture I'm currently in, the puritanical culture that I'm in. So I'm going to make it, I'm going to make these pussies yeah. look like flowers. Yeah. That's my guess. I have no proof of that. <laughs> no, no proof, but sure. We'll, we'll put it out there. Story I'm sticking to. All right. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope the sound isn't too bad. <laughs> sound is fine as far as I can. I mean, trust me, I've had worse. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy asking stupid questions to smart people. And I've learned so many different things about what I've done wrong and what I can do better in my career. And I hope that this podcast has inspired and assisted you in becoming more successful in your creative endeavors. If you like the podcast, we would appreciate a five-star rating and maybe a nice comment would be greatly appreciated. I would like to thank Todd FF for writing a review and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you, Todd FF. Please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Jakub Czerny. And the music was created by Pete Bybee. Thanks, Pete. The Wise Fool is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. 
We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes, or you can find more information about the podcast on Instagram at the Wise Fool Pod or our website, wisefoolpod.com. Thank you.